0: Well, here we are. Welcome back. Simmer down. Uh, before we dive into the q and I wanted to uh, flag this for you. Uh, Canon Press, uh, Doug wrote a book, uh, uh, Why Children Matter, uh, published by Canon Press. Um, a lot of the, the content that you heard just now with, with him and Nancy is packed in here. Um, they also have some YouTube videos that uh, are s- some similar content to what you just heard. Um, and this, for the next week, um, if you go to Canon Press's website um, and use the discount code Kids," everything's 20% off. So there's no excuse to not go buy like 50 of these and hand them out to everybody in your town, village, or wherever you live. So make sure to do that. Uh, and as we transition here to talking about uh, just the questions that have come in from the weekend, I just wanted to lob out there. One of the emphasis points is fatherhood. And so I'd love for um, each of you maybe to share some uh, how your father shaped you, um, th- the ways in which um, your father shaped the man that you've become, and how you've then sought to pass that on to your children.
1: One of my fondest memories from childhood, my, my dad had three rules for our household, and they were no lying, no disobedience, and no disrespecting your mother that that was that and that was life life was good and life was simple um, and I remember where I was standing in the front yard on three North Cherry Grove in Annapolis, Maryland, when he did this, and I forgot what the occasion was, but it was imprinted he he walked up and he was t- exhorting me in some to be, to love and good work somehow. Um, but he he clenched a fist and put it in my face right, like, like that. That was wonderful. <laughs> it, it, it was just really, I got the message. I got the message <laughs> loud and, and it, clear. <laughs> it, it, and it was, and I remember doing the same thing to Nate when, um, when Logos School was just starting and we had combo classes and and it was a small uh, startup school, and everybody was doing everything. The school was running on uh, coffee and adrenaline and the Holy Spirit, and <laughs> <laughs> how we made it, I don't know. But I, I remember walking down the hall of the class, the, the hallway of the school, and Nate's classroom door was ajar, and so I just stuck, I just um, leaned in and pointed a fist at Nate. and then and then just left and the teacher said what does that mean (laughs) and he said be good good." anyway it was uh, i i really it it was just fathers one of the central things that fathers are supposed to provide is security and standards and discipline and and a defined world is is part of how that security comes
2: Adding to that, my uh, when I was little, well, probably for a, quite a quite a phase, I was the family liar, um, and I received a lot of clear discipline from my dad. A lot of time in the basement with my dad, and I just really remember him telling me, "Luke, your 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 name is your word. Like God, God requires the truth of you. You will not lie." And it took some sessions, <laughs> but. It worked, and not only did he want me to honor God's name, but he emphasized that my last name was connected to that truthfulness as well. And well, in, in addition to that, so there's, there's, I really remember that. And if my siblings were here, they would laugh because I was just a, just a terrible liar. Um, he taught us more than one of the greatest things he taught us as a family was how to work. To Ben's point, and when I <clears throat> talked last night about enlarging your heart and how do you bring your kids into the kingdom and lead them with a vision I hopefully you didn't take that as meaning you, you can only do that by being someone like Doug Wilson or a, a great author or leader or something like that but that even in what my dad was doing teaching us as kids that we were a Christian family we honored our word and our name and God's name and we worked hard that that was a huge part of our identity that he gave us that he led us in I don't know that he, that he knows how much of a blessing that was to us, so.
3: Well, I uh, didn't grow up in a Christian home, and uh, I get a, a little, uh, I describe a little bit of what uh, my upbringing was like in the uh, introduction to the book that was just published by Canon. But um, you know, was, I'm, I'm at a place now where I've told the story so so much that, you know, I, I'm not really interested in going through all the gory details uh, anymore, but when I think about some of the positive things, uh, one of the positive things that my father did, uh, I'm not really sure if it was just because he went, didn't want to be bothered, or if, he, or if he was just genius. It was one of those kind of <laughs> things, you know. So I had done something. I can't remember what I I did, but uh, my father, you know, said to me, "Okay, this is how it's going to work. I want you to go to your room." I want you to consider what you did. I want you to think of a punishment. I want you to come back and report to me and tell me what you need, you know, what, what form of punishment you're going to endure. And if I don't like it, it'll be worse. <laughs> so, you know, that really made me think. Three, three days of plague. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, but, but what it did I, that, was, that was positive is that I, I had really had to consider it, you know, what did I do? What did it, you know, what was bad about it? What would be an appropriate a punishment for that? Maybe, you know, tick it up a notch, <laughs> right. so that I wouldn't—I didn't have to worry about, you know, worse. And then, I, then when I, I reported to him, he said, "Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's it." And you know, that was worse than I would have done. But you—you—you've <laughs> <laughs> you, you, made your boat. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna sail off on it and you made your bed. You're gonna sleep, and that's it. So that, w- that really was uh, a positive thing for me because it was one of those moments where I, I, I was thinking through the crime rather than just trying to get away f- with it, you know. It was at that moment that you learned the actions have consequences.
0: <laughs> um, maybe talk a little bit on fatherhood and how um, I think particularly one of the most crucial moments I think in fatherhood is when you come home from work um, Maybe talk about how that, that should work, your, your re-entry back into the home, your, your wife's been uh, folding laundry and cooking the meal, and um, you know, how do you, um, what note should the husband strike when he comes in, comes in the door? What tone should he bring? Uh, what aroma should, should follow him as he enters, enters the home?
1: That point of re-entry, yeah, well, part of this has to do with our, our current configuration that Chris was pointing out. Of the whole thing, the thing of coming home. But when, uh, but when a father comes home, it ought to be the kind of event that everybody's looking forward to. Uh, the kids are looking forward to, the wife's looking forward to, and you're looking forward to. And I think that it needs to be, you need to uh, sort of build in a liturgical expectation so that you have a defined, uh, a defined routine that you go through because if you just leave it up to what everybody feels like, you're gonna have you're setting yourself up for collisions. Keep in mind that dad has been away if particularly if you're a pastor counseling, I've been talking to adults all day and Nancy's been talking to short people all day, and she wants to talk to an adult, and I want to not talk to an adult. Right? So you wanna make sure that you've adjust for adjust for those sorts of things. Uh, it's also when nancy when our kids were little nancy had been was preparing dinner and in the run up to dinner i think she calls it the hour of darkness there's a <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a point in there so one of the things we i tried to do is come home and i would take the kids so i w- i would be with the kids you know wrestling on the living room floor just occupying the kids so nancy could get dinner on so we could then uh, sit down together and, and visit. But it ought to be ex- talked through, agreed upon, defined, not just, oh, we'll wing it. Winging it doesn't work. We're past as the, I just remember, I just think distinct sensation of walking through the door and
0: knowing that somebody's going to jump on Yeah. There's always a balance, and And your kids will smell that a mile away. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they will. And this is a blessing.
4: You don't want to back away a blessing. I just think you have to make sure that you've made whatever fundamental change it is in your demeanor so that that first drop is, feels like something
0: good. You want to, that blessing to land me first in your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember the first time I saw a universal remote control, I thought to myself, man, this changes everything. And and my first job was uh, was a, a as a postman, um, but I but I quit after they handed me the first letter, uh, because I said I looked at it and I said this isn't for me.
1: Did people text these in for you? <laughs>
0: no, no. So what I want to what I want to do though is you know like the the the, the line <laughs> the, the dad jokes. You know, why why is that a thing? Um, and and. Think about, like, King Loon in Arkenland, that he's the one that's supposed to laugh loudest, where the, the dad needs to be in his home, the jolliest, uh, laughing, joking, teasing, playful. Um, why is that such a, a vital feature in the home?
3: Well, I think Lewis gets into this uh, in The, the uh, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Jove, uh, jovial, yeah. kingly, you know, the planet Narnia stuff. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the idea being that the king uh, is not just dread, but the fact that you have a king who's just and good um, is reflected in his jovial character. Uh, there was a, there's a fascinating scene in the Aeneid where Venus comes before her father, you know, Zeus, and the, his demeanor and his... Um, uh you know interaction or his conversation with her is not anything like you might have expected to be the case based on sort of you know the uh, sort of the image of the distant and austere patriarch uh, it's a very warm scene, and he's very sympathetic to her concerns and and when she appears, the, if I remember correctly, Virgil describes his demeanor as like the, the, the bursting forth of the rays of the sun. You know, like the, the clouds have parted and everything is bright. And she's sort of basking in his approval. That's a marvelous scene, and it, it I think, ties into this, this, this idea. Of course, Roman would be Jupiter, so that's where Jove would be. Right.
2: I, I tell my kids that um, my dad jokes are just an expression now as a father of my understanding of God's humor. <laughs> right. And I, all kidding aside, I, I do think that, that is, the more we live in the world and the more we know God, the more we should be eager to understand the humor that he's built into everything and his humor and reflect that for our people. And um, I actually
0: just, I think, thought of my best argument for puns ever. Right. <laughs> Platypuses. <laughs> Platypuses are God's dad joke. Right, right. I mean. um,
1: one time, my probably the centerpiece of my dad jokes is, what, happen, what happened to the girl who ate the curtains? She got sick. <laughs> <laughs>
2: don't, don't laugh, it only encourages him.
1: <laughs> well, the funny part was, that was my, you know, oh, dad, you know, you, what... Inflicting that on the company or whatever, and one time there was a neighborhood kid who came on. Nancy can correct me if it. He was came over to the yard and was being awkward, and and Nancy was talking to him, and I think he told a joke, and now you tell me a joke, and so Nancy's, what happened to the girl who ate the curtains? (laughs) And the little boy said she got sick.
4: (laughs) 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 Seems obvious. (laughs) <laughs> um, in our house, I think I think laughter is fund- is fundamentally an understanding of your place in this universe. Like you you have to be able to laugh at yourself, or you are taking yourself right. far too seriously. And so, with things like you know uh, the temper tantrums that you were describing, the um, there's this real, it's really easy for somebody to start to feel like they're at the center of their own little universe, and every every time you laugh, you're having a Copernican revolution where you're realizing you're not the center. And, and I think it's it's really healthy to inculcate that in your home, that you, you've got to get over yourself. And so, there are some things that hurt badly, but are really funny. And, and you, you see somebody whack their head, and it's really kind of funny, and, and if they can't laugh at themselves, like it, it's, it's um, they're just taking themselves too seriously. And so we always want, wanted to encourage our kids to be able to get past the self-centeredness to the point where you can actually just enter into the joy of laughing, because that's realizing who you are in this universe in a really important way.
1: It also helps you to not lose it when even when discipline's necessary, and you have to correct someone for something, um, but you can see this is going to be a great story later um, <laughs> I, we have to get we have to get through the discipline but it's going to be a great um,
4: great story one what, what of our best was and this was the joke on me I remember it, it was one of those moments where pandemonium and I'm just getting sick of it and, um, and at the center of it there was a balloon left over from a birthday and I was like and I remember just going like, if you don't Whatever, I'm gonna pop the balloon, and, and and Becca just looked at me like. Really? And it was like. That's the worst you can break. <laughs> it's become like 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 when things are getting bad, and all of a sudden somebody's like, I'll "Pop a balloon." But you gotta get to the point where you realize, okay, I'm just being stupid now. Like I, I have a really. Far too elevated sense of you know what what needs to be here,
0: and you have to be able to stop and laugh at that. Well, and I think that the modern um, the modern household, in a lo- lot of ways, is ruled by fear, uh, not that jovial, uh, light-hearted, playful playfulness. Um, and I think that you can see how our our culture's fear of all sorts of things, fear of gluten, fear of vaccines, fear of measles, fear of this, that, and the other thing, can oftentimes paralyze a home. Um, so maybe talk through how a husband especially can cut through the various fears that are you know, on the, the headlines, the Facebook feeds. How does a husband cut through that, that fog of fear that can sometimes rule um, in, our modern, in our modern homes? Luke last night said that, that uh,
1: cowardice is contagious, but so is courage. Right. So uh, what you, if you see something starting to develop, one of the dad's responsibilities is to anticipate, which is what if a father is supposed to pr- protect and provide, which are the two essential things. And provide means to see beforehand. So you, you anticipate the need, you see the trajectory of something coming, and you say, "Okay, this is going to be an issue. Uh, we just heard about some awful thing, and people are going to be worried. You know, could this happen to us?" Or you know, you, you see it coming. And it's incoming and dad should be there already to catch it to he anticipates provides and he uh, takes a courageous stand and that's contagious oh uh, you know okay we can do this dad's okay you know that comes back to just a
0: presence you know right. being present being there being firm paying attention and being present yeah uh, chris somebody has a question for you uh regarding proverbs 31 Um, I'll read the the citation that they give. Uh, She seeks her wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard and on. Uh, Most of this proverb is in regard to the women uh, working for the beautification and making of the household. It also references the woman working to plant a vineyard. Uh, Could you speak? a bit to this and explain that woman in scripture clearly worked outside the home while still working for the home
3: yeah I I think that I don't have any problem with Proverbs 31 Um, (laughs) I think uh, what Xenophon (laughs) is is trying to do is connect you know our bodies with our work but it doesn't mean you um, need to get crazy about it you know stop that (laughs) that kind of thing but I, I think um, with regard to what you have in this particular proverb, this is a pretty significant enterprise that she's part of. I mean, this is not, you know, your mom and pop blacksmith shop down the street. This is, this is likely a pretty significant estate. And if you read Xenophon, uh, it's a significant estate. And the, the woman who's being described in that, uh, that dialogue, that platonic, or that uh, Socratic dialogue, is uh, got servants she's got you know uh, a huge enterprise that she's overseeing and a uh, set of responsibilities and it's very conceivable that you know in many many instances in, in the in, in, a, in an operation like that a woman would have you know the uh, be entrusted to exercise discretion to do something like buy a field and plant a vineyard you know so now i don't think that means that she was out in the vineyard planting the vineyard if you get my, my drift i think that she was probably directing servants you know so um that i think that that's very much in the spirit of what i'm what i'm trying to describe in in general so I, i'm not a you know i'm not trying to uh create uh, sort of rules that would maybe restrain people on the ground which common sense would require you to sort of do something but you know i think you know i'm getting it um what would you say how do some of the
0: single folks that are here uh this weekend how can they uh take some of this on board and begin preparing for marriage and for children uh, even if that's a couple years off for them and maybe what, what would you say to the the sort of young man especially that would say, like, well, I don't need to get married. I know how to boil toast. You know, what, what, what do I need? Um, but how, how can the young men in particular, you know, the singles here in particular, be preparing for this sort of thing?
1: Um, a number of you may have heard me say this before, but you want to become, become the kind of person that the kind of person you would want to marry would want to marry. And you shouldn't start becoming that person when you meet them, or when you get engaged, what, what you want to do is realize, you know, if you're a young man uh, in college and you have the opportunity, let's say, to buy a fixer-upper house and finish your college, and you and you work, why can't you start building your estate now? Why, why do you have to wait till the magic age of 22 or 23 to start um, to start working on that? Or the same thing with a young uh, young woman who who can't um, She's got a job because she has to do something, but she can take what she's earning and, and put it into her home. She can put it into uh, the tools that she will need when she gets married. And if if you get married, you're that far ahead of the game. If in the providence of God you don't get married, you're, you're in a better position to be of service in the body of Christ generally and to be useful to other people in the body, showing hospitality and, and, and so on. Nancy and I have had a... Um, Enjoyed over the years very much, uh, young men, young men, college students, inviting us over for dinner and uh, being impressed multiple times with how um, how good at it young men can be. And if if we have a tendency to live down to the expectations or to live up to expectations, so set the bar high. Don't wait for a man or a woman to start becoming an adult. You don't. You don't need a man or a woman to become an adult.
3: I think with the young guys that I, I interact with, uh, I think some of them are kind of operating uh, with a wrong set of uh, sort of, of expectations when it comes to what makes them attractive to a prospective wife. So you know, most of them, uh, the, the, the women in their lives are, you know, that they've been close to are their, their sisters and their mother. And so the message they've gotten from them is be nice, you know. So that's that becomes like, okay, the way to be attracted to, woman, to women is to be nice. And that's how you become, you know, uh, someone relegated to the friend zone. You know, you've probably heard that. So he's nice. <laughs> he's, he's he's the sort of guy that is a friend. But the, the two things that I have tried to help guys see is that if you want to be to be attractive, it's uh, to, to to women. Uh, a couple of things that women find very attractive are competence and decisiveness. <laughs> These are very attractive qualities for many women. My second son and all the single women in here are saying amen. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. So if you're competent, uh, then you you've, you've demonstrated. You know, you bring something to the relationship that's valuable. You know, so with I, we had. In both with the cases with both my boys, they've got very attractive uh women that they're connected to. And uh the uh my second son uh was interested in a girl who was the girl that everybody wanted, kind of girl, you know. And she had relegated everyone to the friend zone. Everyone. And she just you know, it didn't seem it didn't even seem like she was interested in guys. So so my son Gabe, he's the he's the blacksmith, he he uh he asked her out and she said um, and she gave him her standard line and uh... which was i'm thinking about it or whatever And he said i don't have all day <laughs> 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 that was it she said okay i'll go out with you <laughs> <laughs> and <at some> <laughs> that's right so it what he, and they've got a marvelous relationship uh... they're actually reading one of doug's books right now on uh... reforming marriage and uh... So, and she's a lovely girl, and, and uh, but anyway, a, a couple things to think about. I just add that if you're a single
2: single person wanting to think about preparing for parenting, actively honor your parents, actively work on growing and honoring your own parents. Um, it's, I think it seems, might seem counterintuitive. How does honoring your parents teach you how to honor or, or raise kids? But the way God made the world, in my mind, is. He turns his heart toward us, and, and we were then able to fulfill his commands. The first is to honor your mother, father and mother, and then later to raise up your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I think you learn a lot in actively honoring your parents that equips you yeah. to, to raise your kids. So single guys, honor your parents.
0: And one thing I often flag is uh, your days of singleness are numbered. You know, one way or another, <laughs> you're either going to get married or you're going to die, and so make it count. Uh, you know, and so what, even if you're single for the rest of your life, make those years count. Or if it's around the corner, you get married next year, well, apply yourself for the next year. Use those years of singleness uh, usefully.
4: I think on that, I think one of the things that's important to remember is that obedience is a transferable concept. Um, if you learn what it is to obey, you're better prepared to learn what it is to obey when married. And a lot of times, people will think, um, I, "I long for that situation, and I long for the obedience that God will call me to over there." And then they'll pay no attention to the obedience that God is calling them to now. But you'll find that if you learn to die to yourself while you're single, you're that much more prepared to die to yourself while married.
0: Uh, Luke, a question for you: um, Someone, someone writes in that it's their first year to attend the conference, and. Uh... They're amazed at how well-behaved the young children are here, so good work, all the parents around here. Uh, and by the way, all the squawks and, and giggles and little cries are just wonderful. It really is music to our like ears. It's actually like
3: church every week for it's, me. It's a like
0: wonderful like din. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and, they, and they say that we attend a, a family-integrated church and struggle every week keeping our young ones calm throughout the service. So any practical advice that, that you use or that you uh, you share with others on how to best train your kids or for worship?
2: Sure, uh, two things. One is, is practice. Practice um, in general with little kids, we find it's good to require something of them at, um, in a lower stakes environment. So practice at home what you're going to ask them to do in church. That's one thing. The other thing is to recognize that when your kids are little, this is what it was for my wife and I, is worship. It was actually not about us hearing the sermon. We would often go back and re-listen to the sermons. It was about bringing them in and serving them by teaching them how to worship the Lord. So practice and it's not about you while you're in worship and be encouraged by that. Don't that, that, I think that's a feature, not a bug. And if you go in with that mindset that you're laying down your worship experience to bring your kids in, then your ability to handle all of the, the things that kids do will be far, um, far greater. The last thing about this is my tendency as a father was always to compare my two-year-old to a 14-year-old in terms of their behavior in church. I don't know if you've fallen into this trap to just be honest about your kids and where they are and what their
0: frame is. Anybody else want to pile on it?
2: Uh, I, one thing I'd throw on that would be
4: that, dad, you matter in this. I think far too often families will come and it's mom's job and, and dad is engaged in the lecture and the, it's mom has a kid's, uh, dad, you have to be a part of it. Um, so that, that training, that's dad at night. Um, you know, read to your kids and say, we'll go 15 minutes and we're going to practice just sitting through this for 15 minutes. And then when you come to church, our we picked this up from another family church, but our deal was mom has them up to one and it's dad's job for the rest of the pew from one on. And um, sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, they revolt and, and you've got to,
0: it was a full moon that night. <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs>
4: but uh, but I, I think it's really important that mom feels that dad is, is really taking seriously, helping her in this. One of the things I love um, at our church on Sunday is seeing all the dads that are holding kids at the back of church, and, and, and women knowing that their husband's actually really engaged in it. Yeah.
1: And I would add on top of that, but as um, our church does also the children are welcome through the service. Our service is an hour and a half long, and The kids are welcome there. If a kid flips out, there's a cry room where the sermon is piped in. But for all the normal scuffles and noises and stuff, the kids are welcome. Um, It's not only important for the mom to know that dad is invested and with her, it's also important for families who are doing that uh, to know that they have the support of the elders and the pastor. So periodically, uh, from the pulpit or in the sermon, a word of exhortation to the families and you can say you know we know that you got five kids with you and or seven kids with you and we know it's kind of a rodeo and good job way to go um uh, we think it's wonderful um so that kind of encouragement goes a long long way um for people who are in the trenches and then you you look back on those years and it's like a movie you saw once like what were we, It seemed like it would never end at the time, but but now everybody's obedient and sitting there and taking note, and, you know, responding to the sermon. And, you know, it's just good. It's worth. It. It's really worth it.
3: Yeah, I think uh, to to add to your thoughts, Doug. Um, uh, you know, when this sort of thing comes up, it's uh, as sort of a concern. Uh, I generally just sort of point out the alternative. You know, do you really want a church with no kids? It'd be really quiet. You know, you'd be able to hear everything I say with not without distraction. And I think we'd feel like we were missing out on really something important. So uh, that was what most of the churches on Cape Cod were actually like. <laughs> so I, I saw some really weird kinds of situations where, you know, you'd have a church with, you know, two or three hundred people and... and Five kids. So, anyway, uh, I, I, do th- I do think uh, support from the elders is, is, is
0: key. And part of it is it, it sends, it telegraphs that we value children and we want you having lots of children. <laughs> and it telegraphs that to the children. Right. So, when the children are
1: valued, they may not look, look like they're paying attention at this moment, but they're paying attention over the long haul. They're accumulating a lot of information about what the adults think about them. What they're um, so this is not a church uh, situation, but it was kind of a an epic situation um, in our family. Um, My dad was counseling someone who came over on a Saturday to our house, and uh, he was counseling him in the living room. And for some reason, I was in and out of the living room, in asking questions or you know in and out. And eventually, this man who was being counseled said to my dad. could you, could you do something about your son popping in, in and out of here? And, and my dad said, well, you have to understand that he's a lot more important than you are.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was like, and so if I'm thinking, what? I'm, you know, I'm just a kid with a question. But things like that, res- adult responses or the thing the pastor says or the, the responsibility that dad takes, um, those things register and accumulate over time.
0: Uh, one thing that's helpful too is uh, on a on a Sunday when say the whole crew is down with down with the sickness or whatnot. Uh, I, I remember this happened for us that all the kids were down for the count kind of thing. Uh, my wife stayed home with the kids that Sunday, and just sitting there on your own after you know, doing the rodeo for uh, for a while, and then not having the rodeo with you, you realized how um, uh, you're so focused oftentimes on your little rodeo rather than seeing that this isn't a distraction at all. You know, it really isn't a distraction um, uh, to, to, the, to the corporate gathering of the saints. So, so don't waste those six days, you know, or let it be a lesson to you that this is um, the whole body of Christ uh, from, from the wee ones up to the, up to the old ones. Uh, so final question, just broadly speaking, uh, as a father, what is the paramount thing uh, to be focusing on in order to raise uh, culture-shaping
3: kids? I think Doug already addressed it, and that's expectations. I mean expectations that that aren't crazy, you know, and not expectations that are desi- you know sort of sort of uh, uh, reflecting the culture's value system, uh, like you have to get into an Ivy League school or something like that. Uh, but when when we have expectations that we communicate to kids that are truly um, for their good, and for the good of others, uh, it does a couple of things. It, one, one of the things it does is it's kind of a vote of confidence. It says, I know that you can rise to the occasion. And uh, so that's, that's a very large part of it, but it also directs the, the aspirations of a child, I think, uh, outside of themselves if it's done the right way. So, a couple of thoughts. I would say that
1: um, the, the household, the family, and this proceeds from dad, should expect and teach the kids to expect application. So um, if we could borrow a line from Marx, the, uh, the point is not to understand the world, but to change it. And, and so what we want to do is understand the world and change it, and change comes from application. So we don't learn Bible truths or Bible stories so we can roll them around in our heads. Um, as I'm, I, theology comes out your fingertips as I don't, I, I never tire saying. What, and whatever it is that's coming out of your fingertips is your theology. So you want your kids to th- be thinking, okay, you learned something, what are you gonna do with it? So whether it's math or what, you know, so you learn this in math. I, what are you going to do? Like, how can you plug this in? Um, uh, you, you don't want to be like. Um, I think it's Patrick McManus. It's like giving a ten-year-old boy a hatchet, and then telling him not to chop anything. <laughs> 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 no, you. The, the, we give you the hatchet because we want you to go out and chop things. We want you to do. So, um, be impatient in a godly sort of impatience with academic knowledge, period. It ought to be, I learned something, I ought to be hungry to do it, hungry, hungry to try it. What, how can I try this, how, what, how can we make this go?
4: I think you have to, um, kind of riffing off of that, I, I look at um, in our marriage, the the way our marriage works where there's this thing that I'm working to build but what I see with in a marriage, particularly the way my wife Um, responds to what I'm working on is there's this thing that I want to build, but Becca has a way of taking that and fleshing it and um, turning it into something aesthetic. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but um, I I mentioned this earlier that um, our delights inculcate our loyalties and persuade people far more than our arguments. And um, I think things like... um, sabbath dinner that we have um every saturday evening there's um there's this thing that we're working on and then there's this culture that builds up around it and it's in the culture that you build around it where you're you're building something that is joyful that is pleasant that delights when you see that embodied in that way um and and that's how god has made our marriages where you you come together and it results in little bodies um and you bring home a paycheck and that paycheck your wife takes and turns it into a living room and all of this where there's when you're faithful in your family like that it builds this culture and that culture persuades people i think of how many people who have i've seen their lives transformed by just the fact that they're over for dinner and seeing a family that loves each other but i also see the the gravitational pull that that exerts on our children and even on me where this is just something I wanna be faithful to for generationally. And I, so it's that learning to build something that is joyful, that comes out of a worshiping community and worshiping family that I think is so powerful for that.
2: Um, to add just, just one thought that I've been impressed with um, being here is how much the, the leadership has stayed at it. I think I mentioned this some last night think our kids really learn from us as we keep at building the kingdom of God. I think of Jim Wilson um, in his 80s now still receiving people for counseling. In his 90s, sorry Doug, in his 90s still receiving people for counseling. I love Doug's quip that um, you'll take him out of the, is it, they'll take me out of the pulpit when I die? Is that that there isn't really, as, as Christians, there really there isn't sort of this phase of work and then phase of not work in terms of building the kingdom, and I think that kind of perspective ripples through the first generation and even on to the second, and I'm really thankful for it, and as, as much as I'm able I want to receive that baton uh, and engaging wherever I can, so keep, uh, keeping at it and expecting the Lord to continue to bless that, I think is crucial. Die with your boots on, kind of thing. Die with your boots on.
0: Any final comments or thoughts?
1: I've got the best socks up here. (laughs) (laughs) But but some people have their light under a bushel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you gentlemen so much. Give them a round of applause.